0: Hello and welcome to Disrupting the Degree, the education marketing podcast. I'm Stephen Cleary from Carnival Content with
1: Zenat Fayaz and Zainab Fayaz from The Brand Education.
0: This podcast is all about higher education with industry trends, experts and practical ideas across the student experience, brand and marketing.
1: In this episode of Disrupting the Degree, we're joined by Emma Leach, Director of Marketing and Communications at Nottingham Trench University, former President and current Vice President of CIPR, We will be discussing PR, communication and global reputation.
0: Uh, Welcome to the podcast, Emma. Thank you very much for joining us.
2: Thank you for asking me.
0: So we'll start off with a fairly simple question about the current situation. So to us, at least, it feels like higher education is in the news more than ever. How important is positive PR for a university's brand
2: I would argue that in the current environment, it's mission critical um, mm-hmm. and potentially much more critical than has ever been the, the case before. I think there are a number of reasons for that. It's important now because it's impacting on everybody's everyday life. Yep. It's mm-hmm. topical because of the, the fees position um, increasingly, but also the kind of competition and volatility that we've experienced. And I think also education is something that most people have some experience of through friends, family, relatives, etc and it's also one of those things that's so important for futures that education is very much in the spotlight and I think will remain in the spotlight for many months to come. I think equally having that kind of PR pitch front and centre also allows universities especially to really align their brand narrative, messaging, storytelling and responsiveness and that is critical for recruitment activity, research profile, and all the associated areas of work that colleagues across the sector are are very actively involved in.
0: As with all media coverage, it's very polarised. How do you ensure that your university is on the positive side?
2: Yeah. So I I think for me, there's something around making sure that teams are absolutely on it in terms of opportunities coming up. But that also means not just looking at day-to-day news headlines and being able to respond to those journal requests or or being active in terms of the news jacking agenda. It also means understanding the policy agenda more than ever before, which is not always natural habitat for PR and comms professionals, particularly in universities where where many are maybe um, moved over from the journalism side of things and haven't really had that exposure so there's a little bit of the forward looking what's happening next and actually what's coming round the corner i think increasingly the synergy that that's needed is to work with colleagues in in recruitment and elsewhere across the institution in a way that might not have been quite as in vogue a year or two ago and really see what's what's coming round the corner and being able to proactively plan communications to tackle that and deal with it. And also, we, we're living in a world where the policymakers are are springing frankly, some of those policy decisions on yes. us all. The so Thursday, Friday nights at seven o'clock, and <laughs> yeah. or or we all read about it in the Sunday Times or the Telegraph, and and then know that it's going to be hammer blow time from Monday morning when we're we're basically retrofitting. Um, to the narrative. And that's a very different way of working for all of us, even those, I think, who are more familiar with the policy agenda, that ability to be nimble, to see what's coming, to respond. And increasingly, we're seeing so much more around that, the importance of regional agendas in all of this. So there's been a little bit of a swing back to regionalism as well. So you know, how are you responding locally to the big government uh, policy imperatives? And what does that mean? And what institution are you doing? And I think the PR teams at, at all institutions are the moment are very much in the firing line as it were mm-hmm. of those requests. So media finds out about a government announcement, media goes to local university, what are you doing about this? <laughs> frankly, you just frankly, found frankly. out about it as well. <laughs> Literally we we've probably only just found out about it at the same time. So I think increasingly our ability to be smack in the middle of that policy agenda and also to help senior colleagues to navigate that and to understand know where we hold, where we pause, where we reflect, what we can say right now, what we can say tomorrow, and how we can speed up that flow of information in terms of the operational deliverables so that we are actually working with the media but without the tail wagging the dog. And and mm-hmm. those are critical skills for all of us right now. So how much would you say has
1: changed pre COVID and during and how has this kind of impacted your oh. strategy?
2: So I think over the last few years, things have been moving a pace anyway in terms of the comm side. And as, as a PR professional, originally before I moved into marketing and, and gained my qualifications and skills in those areas, I tend to have a very much an integrated and a comms led approach. What COVID has done, it has, I think, exacerbated that exponentially. So it's it's now more important than ever. And that digital element has become mission critical. So colleagues in comms, marketing and beyond, we've suddenly probably leaped three, four years forward in terms hmm. of digital development in the space of nine months. I don't think that's unfamiliar territory to anyone in the sector. But what that has meant is that we've had to adapt to very, very different ways of working. So that means massive upskilling of PR departments, how we also cover out of hours and and roster issues. We've always had that. And that's been a conundrum for crisis comms for a couple of years now. I think rumbling around the sector, how do you spot things that are happening on social, respond to them in PR terms? Mm. Where are the links? What COVID has done is it's put those pressures on acid for want of a better way of speaking, <laughs> a, a better term, I think. And I think colleagues will understand what that means. So all the things that we've been seeing in terms of trends have suddenly just exploded and we're in a, a whole different level of of crazy on an ongoing basis. And and also we've had nine months of really extreme pressure. Yes. Um if you if you look back Initially, all comms teams were pretty much 24-7 at the time we hit the first lockdown. And what did that mean? picking that, working with senior stakeholders, making sure that our channels were fit for purpose, that we also resurrected channels, which maybe are not quite so common as, as they might've been a few years ago. So SMS texts, how are people in accommodation, out of accommodation, what's happening there? How are we feeding that back? How are we supporting people? How are we dealing with increased pressure from local stakeholders as well as national stakeholders? What are we doing to stay ahead of those controversies on on Twitter? And mm-hmm. then equally, we moved through then the summer phase uh, of what I would like to call the kind of hokey kokey business that we all experienced <laughs> through clearing and confirmation. You know, we all put our left leg in and then actually the rules changed when left leg was out again. Mm-hmm, yeah. um, and we all went through that and we had to revisit our comms in, in real time on almost an hourly basis. Mm -hmm. And that was an incredibly intense period, not just for colleagues on the front line in admissions, applicant engagement, et cetera, in call centres, but for comms colleagues, because the world was changing on a daily basis. And I think what that ignited was then this complete new wave of communications demands Mm -hmm. from parents, which has been... It's been there. We we had all the helicopter parenting debates a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. That, again, the, the pace and the importance of that particular group of stakeholders has changed significantly
0: Definitely. during COVID.
2: Mm-hmm. That's not going to change. That needs now to be a, a pure communications strand in its own right. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. one that, as as comms professionals, we've got to get to grips with, without compromising the fact that actually it's the students that we deal with, and the students in in the vast majority of instances are adults, eighteen mm-hmm. and over. Um, so there's a fine line and a whole new communications part of the puzzle for us to tackle in that. And again there'll be no turning back now. And, and I think that impact also of what does that mean in terms of our use of social for for customer service in a very different way, um, also totally up for grabs now. And I think we'll see some real crystallization of, of interesting ideas and approaches, but there's no turning the, the dial back. Once the genie is out of that particular bottle, it's not going back in.
0: On the social media point and the customer service side, in my career, I've done both. So from the sort of marketing comm side, we managed that, but it's also been in the inquiries and admissions team as well. Yeah. So are you thinking that, so there was a move towards moving inbound social media it's just another form of communication like all inquiries to the university do you think they should be moved back into more of a marketing communications team now then as so, it's so important
2: so i th- i think um where i am at the moment in my current portfolio i have i have applicant engagement and admissions sits with me too mm-hmm. so what what we're definitely will seeing already is much more tag teaming of that effort and much more sharing of information and a much sharper focus on internal communications and colleague engagement. And I think that's the same for most institutions. We can need everybody, regardless of where they sit in the hierarchy and which portfolio they sit in or or not, to be on the same page. So so having um, communications colleagues as, as keepers of the keys for that, but having them in a place where they can hit the big red button as it were and the message is out to everybody so whether you're a call handler Mm -hmm. uh, potentially working remotely from home at the moment you know what the the current messaging from the university is we also share that with academics who might be the first port of call Mm -hmm. that we are not reinventing the wheel in terms of text and messaging from you know from schools versus the center it should be a seamless piece now Mm -hmm. so for me it's not so much about where it sits it's about colleague relationships and Mm -hmm. the ability to have a single point of the truth so that we've got one script guys we're all on it we're all going to be responding in different ways but this is the script and actually if you need to escalate these are the mechanisms for escalating and and these are the guidelines for what we need you to do or not do and I, I think we've tried to plan that almost with military precision here because you have to do to avoid any ambiguity, to make sure that you're actually compliant with CMA legislation and OFS guidance, to also make sure that students and potential students who are, you know, really vulnerable, and we shouldn't forget how important and what, what a life changer this has been for them. Yes. They have the right information and they have it in real time.
0: Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And
2: we are using all of our channels to support them, but but they're getting the same information. It's consistent. And we're we're studying them, we're reassuring them, we're being positive and we're being as helpful as we possibly can. And mm-hmm. we're doing that systematically across all channels. Yeah. And I
0: think, like you say, it should it should be done like that though, shouldn't it? So with COVID or not, giving the students the communication that they require and the information as soon as possible is is good customer service
2: absolutely and i I think we'll all be you know customer service again is is going to be even more important as part of brand Mm -hmm. and reputation
0: Mm -hmm. and
2: i think what we've seen over the summer i've seen some brilliant examples from a number of institutions on work that they've been doing to support the covid effort nationally and then also what they've done for their own institutions Mm -hmm. flip side i've seen some shocking examples of where institutions and I'm I'm not going to name names on this but I think we all (laughs) all know where they are of of where that communications piece has gone tragically wrong and they've ended up in the spotlight for all the wrong reasons Yeah. yeah and once you've once you've burnt those bridges you know actually everybody can see that it's a very very public failure and whether it's it's not necessarily even a comms failure it could be somebody in an estates team or elsewhere in the institution who's just made the wrong call and not Spoken to comms, not asked advice. Somebody's made a decision in the institution. Gone UDI. All of a sudden, you've got a major diplomatic incident that needs mopping up. But yep. people remember that, and and yeah, actually yeah. next year's students, all of our applicants for for the cycle that we're entering right now, will have seen all of that. And it, you know, they're asking yeah. questions. You can see it on some of the forums. You can see what the parents are also thinking about some of that. Where where COVID has been handled badly by institutions, where the has been, you know, people forced to stay in their accommodation, people not um, given the right information, people not having any dis- sensible discussion around rents, people being told to self-isolate but not being contacted by the institution for several you know, months at a time. Those things will, will come to roost because that customer service is intrinsically the student experience. And do you want to go somewhere where actually it appears according to the media, that they don't care about you? Because I'm not sure I'd yeah. want to send my child there. <laughs>
0: no. yeah,
2: I've noticed like when a university does
1: something really positive, um, you know, they get this uh, kind of limelight. But when something really bad happens, I feel like the limelight stays on them for a very long time. So how do they, how
2: can they overcome something like that? what we've seen, I think, are the institutions where comms is at that top table. And, you know, I'm lucky my institution is is one of those where comms colleagues have been involved in that decision making. They're actually in, in the room at the table. Yeah. They've got a voice and also their voice around tone. And, you know, the, you've got to play yeah. devil's advocate if you're doing the role properly in comms. You can't, you can't be a forelock tugger. You know, the days of somebody senior saying, we want to do this and the comms people just, you know, tugging the forelock, getting on with it your job is to also push back in the nicest possible way. And that means a positive and constructive challenge, but it also means being able to understand how messages will be seen and received and perceived by colleagues internally, by stakeholders, by the media. And that can be a turn of phrase, an action. It can be tone of voice. It can be decision which on, you know, looking at it from an FD's point of view might seem very sensible. We're going to charge X, per day for this food in self-isolation because otherwise it'll cost the university. Why? Well, actually, the trade-off is if people think they're being ripped off Mm -hmm. and you lose, you know, you don't have to lose many students next cycle because people think that you actually don't care about the student experience. That legacy hangs around for quite a long time. It's about the whole value proposition. And I Mm -hmm. think it's also about people remembering that positive support and we cannot underestimate the power of advocacy in all of this and the you know parent power and student power if people have had a great experience they'll tell other people if they've had a a bad experience they tell even more people unfortunately that we all know that's how it works so if, if you've had a bad time or you feel that you've been not well treated by your institution that's not a great message to go out into the market no, yeah.
1: so before we hit record, actually, we're really enjoying your backstory. So, for our listeners, we'd love for them to also gain an insight into your career and just your backstory so far.
2: Oh, okay, backstory. Um, I've been around for very long, I shouldn't tell you because it's uh, it makes me sound really old, and I am really old. But um, no, you're I'm not worried about that.
0: Not
2: you <laughs> oh, Stephen, if I had a Christmas card list, you'd be top of it right now. <laughs> um, I I basically started working from being from my A levels at 18. I fell into a job as a a PR trainee stroke secretary in a fashion consumer PR agency which is based in the north did that for a few years uh, working in mainly kind of bridal wear consumer fashion nursery products all sorts of different things and then moved into working um, in a local authority on all sorts of of areas initially adult youth training I'd always had a passion for education and I figured that after four and a half years doing fashion and consumer it felt you know it's exciting stuff um, and I got to move on really quickly and learn an awful lot and, and a very commercial focus from that. But it felt quite shallow and didn't necessarily align with my values and my sense of purpose. Moved into the job in the local authority, really loved it and wanted to move more formally into um, that education space. And after working in public private sector, so I covered tourism, travel, place, destination, marketing, both in local authority and then public private sector organisation in Manchester. I was lucky enough to get a job as a PR manager um, at Leeds Met as was, Leeds Beckett as is, which um, I loved, did that for a few years. But increasingly, PR at that point was a little bit like the poor relation. And even as the PR person you would sometimes be be treated with suspicion by academic colleagues and people would physically recoil from you know shaking hands with me so heaven knows how (laughs) they would deal with the marketing people but I I I kind of did I did all my qualifications part-time during this period so i actually got my degree um, part-time self-study did did my CAM certificate, CAM diploma, um, a PG dip in marketing and then CIM diploma as well. And uh, and then got a job at Bradford University as head of corporate communications, which was a broader role and encompassed more of the marketing. And, and as a result of that, I brought that PR legacy Through, did that for a good few years, including I worked in Bradford um, in two separate roles, one at the local authority and one uh, at the university through several lots of riots, and that teaches you an awful lot around crisis communications, that ability to be responsive and to to deal with stakeholders in very different ways. Um, Jumped from there to to work at Salford University, which I wasn't at Salford. Um, for particularly a long time but I did then move as director to uh, Manchester Metropolitan University where I I loved working uh, there with with the team and I did that for around four and a half years. Again my brief kept expanding every time I moved so I tend to be brought in to do change transformation I then went to work at Nottingham University as director of marketing and comms. And that brief then grew to encompass uh, all the recruitment side of things there. And again, very much enjoyed working there. I've I've pretty much enjoyed everywhere I've worked in higher education. Uh, People are fantastic. But the learning, I think, is always there. And working at different types of institution gives you an insight into different areas. So... With international exposure and quite a lot around brand profile reputation um, and also crisis communications there and the halo effect stakeholders um, and stakeholder management. And then being able to to manage teams remotely in both China and Malaysia was great learning and then moved to um, Loughborough in my previous role where I also had the portfolio for international office, a WP activity and also um, development and alumni relations. So bringing all of those strands together so that it was a very seamless piece of, of work and, you know, massively enjoyed that. And again, colleagues at Loughborough, as with my other, other past several jobs, actually, I'm still very much in touch with um, those colleagues, because I think relationships are one of the key things in this sector. It's a sector that's built on sharing, Definitely. Um, and people are really generous with their ideas and their time in the sector, despite the fact that it's got more and more competitive. Um, but it's it's that mix, you know. I think most of the people I've dealt with in over the years have been so committed to student success, and I think use a skill set which my dad thinks is still thinks is terribly shallow so you know I'm shallower than an ovenproof casserole quote unquote (laughs) um, in terms of of what I do but you know if that is if that's my gift in life then actually I absolutely want to use that to support things that I am passionate about and I'm passionate Mm. about the freedom that education brings to individuals and the impact that the both that. Personal freedom and and the teaching side but also research and Mm. the life-changing research that our institutions across the the UK produce um, and the impact that has on society is really really important so I wouldn't want to work in another sector I don't think I think what we do is tremendously important and I get a buzz every single day of the week from working with colleagues and trying to make life a little bit different and a little bit better.
0: How how do you measure success of brand marketing and comms then
2: okay so i I think there's loads of ways of doing it you know you've got the standard qualitative, quantitative stuff you've got impact of coverage you've also got how you know what's the perception of you out there in the market and you can do a regular kind of tracking survey on all of that i think you can also link some of this stuff through now increasingly as we've moved to a more digital based experience then then a lot of our comms should really have calls to action in it and I think mm-hmm. actually COVID's taught us a lot about about how to really um, pick up and embed some of those calls to action in in our communications and track and measure some of that and its effectiveness so maybe an example I would I would give you from my own recent experiences NTU we we saw the COVID impact on parents and we were getting lots and lots of queries and questions so so the answer for us was we've just launched a um, parent sign up so we've now got a parent's newsletter it, it comes out every week if your son or daughter is with us you'll get an update every week it's not it's not child specific or you know your student specific but what it does it gives you all that information and knowledge that you might want as a parent or carer to support your son and daughter in terms of if they ring home and they're unhappy about something and they're frankly speaking to mum um you, you you now empowered to support them. You you know where to signpost them to. You know what information's been sent out to them. So, yeah. But you're also more likely to have a, a clearer story and the whole picture.
0: Yes, yeah. uh, but, which helps with but, retention then, doesn't it as well?
2: Critically important for retention, but also important for parents if their son or daughter is is struggling or they're worried about the mental health, they want to know where to go as well. So yeah. making sure that that support is is there, and then actually the halo effect. So when we did the sign up for for that newsletter, it was it was fascinating to watch. We literally hit 500 people in literally a couple of hours from sign up, and that was that was basically mums tagging in other mums on Facebook.
0: But well, it's what was what they wanted, isn't it? It's it, the value that it, they needed and at and that time. Yeah,
2: and I think meeting the needs really of of um of what people want, and and then using your perception tracking if you're doing any kind of tracking. Um, on an annual basis to just see how perceptions of the brand have have shifted, and also what people know you for, and, and I think that's where the the immediacy of things like press and PR come in. It can be very, it can take a long time to shift perceptions of an institution, mm-hmm. but the stuff that appears in the media is immediate. And then the other stuff that you can do around advocacy networks, both staff, students, but also your alumni networks, and increasingly parents. Is still untapped territory, I think, for a lot of institutions and one, uh, an area that's really, really worth exploring because it's, it's credible, it's authentic and that value set of authentic communications, you know, it's definitely of the now.
0: Yep.
1: So, how do you get buy-in for uh, marketing from senior leaders at the moment? Then, so
2: I think that our job is to be—it's to be trusted advisor. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have to absolutely speak truth to power, and that's important. Mm-hmm. You go into that knowing that it's not always going to make you flavor of the month, but you senior people need to to understand different perspectives and also because we all have our own view of the world based on where we're positioned in that hierarchy so a big part of my job and and other colleagues jobs is to reflect back actually what people that are not seniors in the organization might be thinking or feeling as a result of COVID because your experience potentially as a as a senior academic or a you know PVC or a or even the vice chancellor is going to be very different to the lived experience of someone working in, you know, estates, or cleaning, or, or perhaps in in the admissions processing team. So understanding the needs and wants and desires mm-hmm. of all of your stakeholders internally and externally is important and that's Mm -hmm. where that nuancing of words and being able to push back and say absolutely understand where we're going with this but we might want to think about how that could be received by these people who are concerned about this or actually if we incorporated this bit of text and explained such and such that that would potentially take the sting out of it so it's our job to to check to challenge but also to be there to be really proactive with the bright ideas and the solutions mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. things like the parents um set up for us was a bright idea and a solution actually mm-hmm. we've also pretty much used some colleagues who would have been furloughed pulled in from teams where where the, their immediate need was not There to support a holistic approach to problem solving and inquiries, which means that inquiries are not bouncing around the houses like you know pinball wizard, as is the case in many institutions. So that if you complain once, even if you've if you've sent it and you've copied in the vice chancellor and everybody else that you can find, you know you're getting one sensible answer. You're not getting multiple people answering in different ways. So.
0: And a quick answer.
2: And being quick and being responsive. And also, how do we look then at the data coming in? How do we look at what people are asking us on the phone lines into applicant mm-hmm. engagement to mm-hmm. retrofit what's on the web pages or to shape the content for next week's bulletins or to to flag a burning issue that, you know, something coming through is, is snowballing and, and frankly, we need to be on the front foot about it. So it's pulling in all those data sources and really being on the ball with how we use that information how we respond to it and how we get ahead of the media
1: how do you create a high performing team and ensure that there's a coordinated approach to the multi department such as yours because you know you mentioned that you were pr and then now you're marketing and com so how is the you know the skepticism around the academics now like because you do all of it now
2: yeah and I, I think um I would say I'm I've been really lucky in the course of my career. I've I'm I'm lucky to have built high performing teams at a number of institutions and, you know, multi multi award winning teams and with those teams we've kind of won, you know, highest team of the year twice I know um, I've been of the jealous a... A year twice so sorry um, and watching you
0: win all those awards
2: and know <laughs> we're getting there we're on the journey still so you know NTU we need to watch out for us we're, we're on the warpath <laughs> but I think one of the key things and and what's been hard for me you know I had 10 weeks max face to face with the team before we moved to the COVID world of remote working is that ability to to listen to different voices to get colleagues to feed ideas through to be full and frank and and also to understand that ideas don't have a hierarchy you know just because you've got the most senior job description around the table doesn't mean that that you've got the best ideas Mm -hmm. so I think it's it's regular communication with colleagues it's trying to be open and available I give feedback if colleagues apply for something internally whether they get that role don't get that role I've had one-to-one sessions with colleagues who who want to know how to progress but we've used things like slido you know to make it easy for people to ask questions anonymously Mm -hmm. where they might not be comfortable putting their name to it but actually if if one person's got a question and they feel like that they feel Mm -hmm. happier being anonymous chances are there's another two or three or four or more Mm -hmm. who are also thinking the same thing and that allows me to get back to them and to be real with that and to say look i'll share with you the all the information i've got that is shareable i'll share it with you because knowledge isn't power in that sense anymore, you've got to be able to share it so people can understand what's going on. I think it's also about getting under the, the bonnet of what people do. Um, that's the part that I miss most with COVID because I like to be able to wander past the desk
0: mm. and say
2: face-to-face to, to someone. I oh, just want to say, I was in a meeting with the Dean of the School of X yesterday and they were singing your praises, really great job on such and such. You can't get that immediacy and you don't get that personal connection through Teams, however much you try. <laughs> There is something in there about that face-to-face and the water cooler moments that you don't always get. Um, and that ability to earwig. I like to earwig conversations. <laughs> you ever work with me? Drives people nuts, but in a nice way, because I'll say, oh, just, I just heard you say such and such. Can you just explain that to me? Because that might then, for me be the spark of a really great idea or it might be a problem that I wouldn't have been aware of otherwise that we can we can solve and that makes life better both for the colleagues involved but also for the institution so I think there's a lot around listening there's a lot about leading Mm -hmm. there's a lot about sometimes making really tough decisions on things Mm -hmm. But there's also an awful lot about just please and thank you and building that into what you do and to taking forward great ideas and to trying trying to get rid of hierarchy you know I hate hierarchy. yes um, yeah. it, it, it's it can stifle innovation. If everybody's always just going to be terribly terribly polite because the only way you ever get on in an organization is being terribly terribly polite and towing the party line and keeping your head down that does not lead doesn't lead innovation.
0: And flat structures are all about creativity, aren't they?
2: They absolutely are. And just, you know, seeing talent and and I've always been really fixated on if somebody's got something about them and they're prepared to, to work at it and they're they cheerful. And also, you know, do they pass, I describe it as a cup of tea test. You might not be able to do the job of that colleague. when you, But if you can see that they're a bit stressed that day, even if you can't technically take any work off them because what they're doing is quite specialist. Are you the sort of person that can pass the cup of tea test? Are you going to step up and go, I can, oh, can I help you? And they say, oh, no, 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 nobody can help me today. I'm doomed are you going to just take the time out to acknowledge that and go do you know what mate let me make you a cup of tea that's yeah. that's how that's how that, you build a great that's team that's how we solve
0: the problems yeah
2: it, it, just just knowing that somebody else in the team's got you back but but also yeah. being open to being in a room with with folk across multidisciplinary teams and to get their ideas and to just have a laugh about it and to be able to go, oh, God, you know, Stephen, that is the most bonkers idea I've heard in a very long time. But do you know what? You might be onto something. Just Do you know what? That that literally
0: is my career. That's what people always say to me.
2: (laughs) But but you can spot, you know, and then you can spot that talent. So I've also tried over the course of a number of years to where there's been a kind of a young X of the year or a young Y of the year or where those opportunities have come up to put my colleagues forward for things, I've I've always taken those opportunities because, yeah, it's an extra job for me to do at the weekend to do an awards nomination for. But do you know what? If they've done great work, I want them to be successful. And the more successful colleagues are with their projects, you can see the confidence grow and you see them blossom and you see them sharing their expertise and know-how with others. There's nothing gives me greater pleasure than seeing where you've got pockets of potential and talent that's that's underutilised and just unlocking it and allowing those folk to to shine. Because once people start to do that, others that might be a bit more reticent suddenly see that there's no such thing as a as a bad idea. Mm-hmm. and they engage they get over being shy they they get over saying the wrong thing they know that they might get the mickey taken out of them in the meeting where you go really Stephen? really you thought that was a oh, good idea don't worry but, about that but just hang on um <laughs> yeah. and actually you know some of the some of the biggest innovations that i've ever had in my my career was has been kind of ideas where we're all sat in a room and someone will say something bonkers uh, and might get shot down because that idea is just a little bit so far out there but by bashing that around and having a laugh and you know and thinking about it we then hit on the thing that is absolute marketing or comms gold and Mm
0: -hmm. there have been a
2: number of points in my career that we've done that and an idea has kind of come out of one of those sideways conversations where we were all laughing because something that somebody said was originally so stupid but it's not really And and I think when you can laugh at yourself and you can also know that not every idea is going to fly, but you've got to have ideas and Mm -hmm. and also you've got to look forward too much in higher education. We look at, Oh, well who won such and such and what could we do? And you, and you know, then you end up copying. Yeah, Um, Yeah. So if you, if you're going to copy, do it properly. Don't just, don't just do, a knockoff copy of yes. what somebody <laughs> did two years before steal just like really an artist
0: That's what I like a,
2: so you've got to do that you know just take the best of what's out there mm-hmm. and then build on the it best. just don't yeah. use it as is just build on it and do something better and think actually that's really worked for them and what could we do that is in a similar vein but actually is way better or has some other dimensions to it because that's the only way you innovate Mm-hmm. yeah i think it's also to um it's also quite important actually to touch on
1: you know it's not always money that drives people it's not always the next promotion or no. the next job post it's actually praise recognition and all these things that make it
2: you know important to be a team player and Absolutely. be recognized
1: for that I think it's
2: really worth mentioning. I think that's critical. And I think also particularly for, for colleagues who are, are maybe newer, mm-hmm. my generation might've been more motivated by, by money. I think it's fair to say, but a lot of my colleagues who are, are younger colleagues, it is, you know, I'm actually really motivated by, by praise. I'm still like a child. I want a gold star on my I think record. Most card. I want to them. know mm-hmm. I've done a good job. Um and if, if you've got that and, and, and then especially if you've got those development opportunities and you can train and you can gain qualifications and people tell you on a regular basis you're doing a great job and they give you the head way to to move with some of those new ideas and you feel genuinely listened to yeah. um, that's a great place to be I you know I tend to only move jobs when I've kind of done whatever my original brief was, and I've kind of pushed the boundaries, pushed the boundaries and been given new things. But then actually I, I can't see where I can add any more value. And mm-hmm. it's time it's time almost for a different voice in that organisation because I've done all the things I was brought in to do. Really get, getting your team so that you're working closely together and also you're pulling people out of the comfort zone. You're sharing mm-hmm. opportunities with them. You share external learning all of those things are really, really important and they that leads to high-performing teams. I think where we go wrong a lot is... We don't work across silos. We have boundaries. You know, oh, this is a PR campaign and the PR people do it. And actually it's like, well, get the digital folk in the room and get someone from student recruitment in the room as well. And, mm. you know, don't forget to invite the people that might sit in a different area of the institution, but they are alumni and actually get someone else in with a different voice in that room and tap into what great ideas the student support folk might have. Because there might not yeah. be marketing ideas, but there might be a nugget in there that gives you a twist that will be mm-hmm. the icing on the cake for your campaign. So don't just sit in a little room just with people that have got the same job title or from the same little team. Think wider, mm-hmm. think more broadly, and include different voices. And you know, increasingly get your students involved in that. Yeah, yeah totally
0: agree. It makes so much sense, Emma. I think it's been great to have all of your insights from today, and thank you so much for joining us. I think that's where we'll have to wrap <laughs> yeah. up.
2: thank you so much, Emma. Thank it's you, Emma. Thank you very much. It's been lovely speaking to all of you.
0: Well, that's it for 2020. Thank you so much for listening and see you in the new year. Disrupting the Degree is brought to you by the brand education and Carnival Content.